0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. We're here in chapter 16, so if you have your copy of Scripture and will stand with me, what we're going to see are the limits of our strength. Samson, the end of his story, shows us the limits, the limiters. And in fact, it's really one limit, that's sin, of our strength. So if you will, we're going to pick up here uh, right in the middle of the chapter and go to the end. Let's look at verse 23. And up until this point, Samson is, is out and about doing the things that uh, we know that he liked to do. He is uh, in Gaza doing things he's not supposed to do. Then after that, he goes into another place and there's the story of Delilah. Many of you know that story. We'll come back and fill in those gaps here in a moment. But what we need to realize is, is that here in verses 18 through 22, we see that Samson finally meets his match. He has lost his eyesight. He is now a prisoner of war. And so this is the very, very last little bit of the story of Samson. Let's listen to it. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they, called, uh, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped The two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against them. His right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength. And the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his lifetime. Then... His brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Let's pray. Lord, what a sad, sad ending to the story. We know, Lord, that we see in this instance the power of sin and where it leads us. And we know that there may be some in this room who are being led in that direction. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to see our limits today, that you will show us, Lord, our sin. But most of all, Lord, I pray that you will deliver us from those sins and help us to look to you as our ultimate strength. Jesus, open our hearts and minds to your truth today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Judges 16 sort of begins with Samson being Samson. We've seen this time and time again. In fact, I would say that what we see here in chapter 16 is that Samson has no strength. The strongest man in the world is weak, and he is particularly weak when it comes to the desires of his flesh. He has no control over those passions, those desires, that impulse to go in the direction of sin. Samson being Samson is just a picture of something larger, He is a microcosm of the larger picture of Israel itself, Israel being Israel. We see throughout the Old Testament, and in particular in the prophets, how Israel again and again and again, instead of staying true to God, they keep going after the false gods of Canaan. And so the prophets most often use the analogy of sexual immorality. And here with Samson, it is a literal reality of sexual immorality. But that's showing us that Samson is really just representative of the rest of the nation. Samson was a judge, and a judge is a leader. And often, what we find is, is that our leaders do, in a sense... Sort of represent us, not just in terms of that we voted for them or didn't vote for them, that kind of thing. But many times what we see happening in the culture, we're electing leaders and we'll have leaders that act a certain way. Well, I think maybe this is an example of that. Samson just is what Israel has become. And it's such a sad situation because God has been faithful to his people. He's provided them a land, a promised land, and they are not being true to God It is the story of the Old Testament. Sadly, it is the story of today as well. But what we see in this story is that in the last chapter of Samson's life, one of the saddest elements is is there's no mention of the Holy Spirit. Up until this point, the Spirit of God has been working through him. But in chapter 16, the Spirit is not present. And what we do see are the sins of Samson's heart and life. So let's get this in our minds. The strongest man in the world came to the limit of his strength. And what that tells us is, so will we. Now, for Samson, we see that his proclivity to sexual sin was what got him. I don't know what will get you. We were talking in the first service. You know, Samson is one of those characters, as I think I've shared with you all too, that he does so many things wrong that one of the dangers is we come to Samson and say, well, I'm not that bad. You know, I'm not as bad as this guy, so why do I need to worry? Well, the issue is, is that no matter what kind of sin you lean towards, if you don't let Jesus deal with that sin, if it is not nailed to the cross, that sin is going to cause great harm in your life. If you are not aware of this fact You soon will be. Sin does not leave us alone. In fact, the image I often use is, eventually, if we're not turning to Jesus, we will hit a wall. Sin will cause us to hit a wall. And that shows us the limit of our strength. But one thing that we need to see today is that that doesn't have to be the case for us. What we need to realize is, for those who are in Christ... For those who want to be seeking after the infilling power of the Holy Spirit, our limits don't have to be the last word. We believe that the Holy Spirit, when we hit that wall, if we will trust in Jesus, if today you will confess your sin, maybe there is a sin in your life that you have been wrestling with for years. You have hit a wall again and again and again. The only way over that wall is by surrendering to the Holy Spirit by believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And what I mean there is yours, the sins you've committed. Often when we think about Jesus dying for sins, we think that he died for the whole world. He did, but you're part of the world, and your sins contributed to Jesus needing to go to the cross. And he has paid that price for you. He will help you get over that wall. Your heart needs something eternal. And you will never find rest for your heart until you find rest in Jesus. And so today we're going to see that. And I hope we will realize, we'll come to realize that the solution is and always will be in Christ. But let's look first at sinful distractions that limit our strength. That's what we're going to see here in verses 1 through 3. When you look at verses 1 through 3, you see Samson going down to Gaza, and there he goes to see a prostitute. He is not acting like a leader of God's people. A judge was supposed to be not quite a king, not quite a prophet, not quite a governor of a state necessarily, but he was to be a leader of God's people. And I think that being a leader of God's people required him to live up to a certain standard. Well, here's a man who's not living up to that standard at all. He is traveling far and wide to indulge his sinful desires. Now, the text mentions this town called Gaza. What's interesting about that is that it's one of the Philistine, five Philistine cities. It's the one furthest away from where Samson grew up. And so what we see here is, is Samson is willing to travel a great distance to get away from family, to get away from his responsibilities. He goes as far as he can to try to continue his sinful behavior. But you can't run away. You can't get away from your past. You cannot get so far away from sin that nobody knows. In fact, when he shows up there in Gaza, people know who he is. They realize that this man who has killed so many of their soldiers has showed up in their town. And the Philistines decide that they're going to try to trap him in the city. Now, let's pause for a moment and let's kind of think about what this means. In those days, cities were walled uh, because there were a lot of bad guys out there trying to break into your house, as it were. So they would build these walls and they would be very thick and very tall, and there was no way to really get in except through the gate. The gate was always the weakest port, uh, point of the defense. This particular gate, we think, would have probably been maybe five or six feet wide, probably about 20 feet tall, made out of heavy wood and layered in steel, some kind of metal. Very big, very heavy. So Samson is, quote unquote, trapped in the city. It looks like they have him. They're going to wait until the morning because they can't imagine there's any way for Samson to escape. But he waits till about midnight. He goes down to the gate and he just picks it up. So Samson's got some pretty, pretty serious strength here. He picks it up and you say, okay, it's a big deal. This guy is really strong. He picks it up right out of, off the hinges, right out of, of, of the portal, and begins to carry it. Now, that all sounds really amazing. And you say, well, he's just a really strong guy. No, there's something more going on here because the Bible tells us that he took that gate and carried it on his back to a place called Hebron, which is uphill. 38 miles away. So this is not a normal kind of strength. Samson still, at the beginning of the chapter, even without, quote, unquote, the Holy Spirit giving him power, he has the ability to take a door weighing hundreds of pounds, put it on his back, carry it 38 miles uphill to Hebron. This is a strong man physically, but the text is only highlighting the weakness of his flesh. He is not able to overcome his desires for the flesh, even though he has the strength to carry something like this, this heavy, for 38 miles. I think it's interesting that Samson takes this gate to Hebron because that's where David would, in future years, be first crowned king. I think the author of Scripture, by the way, there really is only one author of Scripture, and it's God. It's all connected. Here we see a connection God's Word is telling us that Samson had the gifts, and he had the blessings, and he had the spiritual power to be a great leader like David. He carries the gate to David. He makes the city weaker. David eventually is able to destroy the city of Gaza in years to come. Many of that is many of those things are connected. But here's the deal. With Samson, I believe the author of Scripture is telling us here that he could have been so much more. He could have been a David to his people. But when we read verses 1, 2, and 3, we are not impressed with this man. This man is not acting like a leader. His sinful distractions are keeping him from being a deliverer of Israel. Samson's sins limit his strength. Now, let's just think about this for a moment. Samson's sins limited his strength. What sinful distractions are in your life. Think about what's limiting you. In this room, many of you are called to do something more than you're doing now for the Lord. What are you missing in your life due to sin? Sometimes that sin is just not listening to God's call. Sometimes that sin is acting out In the flesh when when there is an idea in your head when there's a sinful desire in your heart and you act on that that causes a distraction but but it's not always just going out and doing what Samson did here in verse 1 many times it's just not listening to the Lord and I think that many of you have much more in store in this world much more potential I don't know if you're going to be picking up gates and carrying them 38 miles on your back I don't know if you have that kind of potential but you may have something better. You may have gifts that God would like to use in the church, but the question is, are you being distracted? Are sins keeping you on the sideline? You can't be unfaithful to the Lord and grow strong in your work for the Lord. And I think many people today are trying to Just coast when it comes to their Christian calling. I think many people are are saying, Well, I know I still have this issue, but someday maybe it will go away. No, that's why we have altars. That's why we come together and hear the word as the Spirit convicts you of those sins. And I want to say this I cannot convict you to come down the aisle, I cannot force you to do so. But when the Holy Spirit reveals to you a sin in your heart, let me tell you, if you don't lay it down, it will become a distraction. And in this text, A distraction led to death. We need to keep that in mind. Now, let's pick up in verse 4, the story of Samson and Delilah. Now, this is a a different kind of pursuit on Samson's part. In verses 1 through 3, we really do have the pursuit of sexual gratification. Very, very base. But in verse 4, we have to give Samson a little bit more credit. It seems like there he really is in love with Delilah. Now, if we think back to his story and how it started in chapter 14 in his adult life, one of the first things we learn is that he was, he was in love. He had, he had a marriage that was uh, maybe set up and ready to go. And because of a series of circumstances, that did not happen. Uh, he got mad about that, obviously, and a lot of people got killed as a result of it. Samson is a sledgehammer. He is a wrecking ball. That's who he is. But here's a man that is like every other man. He is longing for love. And I want you to notice, if you read this passage later, verses 4 and following, you'll see that word love pop up quite a bit. Samson, though he is not acting wise, you can somewhat sympathize with him. He is wanting to know love. Love is a powerful force. It is stronger than Samson at his strongest, and this text proves it. When love is aimed in the direction of God, it's a beautiful thing. But when our love is misdirected, as it is here in Judges 16, because he shouldn't have been with Delilah at all. I mean, there's nothing in the story that tells us that Delilah was worthy of his love. We see her manipulating him. We see him being used by her in every way. And yet she continues to win, win him over because of some misguided love. Now, the text is curious. There are little clues all throughout that let us know that Delilah is is bad news for Samson. First of all, the Bible tells us that she's from the Valley of Sorek, which translates roughly Vineyard Valley. Now, do you remember uh, Samson and what his calling is? He's a Nazarite, right? And what are you supposed to avoid as taking a Nazarene vow? Grapes and, and fermented grapes at that. And so the woman was from, you talk about forbidden fruit, she was from the Valley of Vineyards. I mean, God is screaming out, this girl is not for you, Samson. But love uh, caused him to continue down a path of destruction. Misguided love causes Samson to give up every good thing in his life. And this is a story of, seduction and really samson's life is is really all about being seduced by sin here's a man who can't keep his vow and here we have this this vow up until this point he has not broke the vow with his hair i think he's broke about every other vow but he has not had his head shaved but the negative power of love here even causes him to give up this part of who he is Let me say to you, church, you can't stop sin. When you love sin, sin will consume everything you love. And I want you to know that many of us are not seeing that. We think that somehow uh, our sins are controllable, but they're not. Because what happens is, is we love that sin, and that sin is always going to consume everything you love. We often realize our spiritual poverty only when it is too late. And so the story is is really sad. Delilah is is there and and continually kind of taunts him and tries to find his secret. In verse five, we learned or, or earlier on there we learned that uh, she is is paid. She's been paid a lot of money to find out Samson's weakness, and she's trying very blatantly to discover that. And Samson is sort of playful about it. He tells her a few fibs, and finally though, uh, she says, "You don't love me." And on that fourth attempt, he shares his heart. And Delilah is wise enough to know that that's exactly what has happened. And because he has finally given up, it seems like he's given up on every bit of his calling. Up until this point, there seems to be hope. But at this point, not that he was suicidal, but there's just something about this text that's not right. I mean, he had to know that Delilah was up to no good, and he just gives in. I think what we have here is an example of your sins will wear you down and wear you out. And take away your desire to live and to serve and to do what God has called you to do. And Samson has come to this point. And love, I think, if you want to know the power that finally got him was love, a misguided love. And so today, so far in the text, we've seen in verses one through three, how sin can be a distraction. Secondly, we see in verses four through 22 how our love, when it's misguided, can be deadly. But then in verses 23 and following, our main text for today, we see how we can be even mighty, more mighty in death. The story is, it ends so sad. He's, uh, Samson is blinded, enslaved, and derided. And I want you to know these are the gifts that sin will bring you. You will be blinded, enslaved, And derided. But one of the things the Philistines aren't paying attention to is well, Samson's hair is growing again. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 is a hint that what is about to follow is momentous, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved. There is no indication that Samson will avoid death, but we start to see that he will now finally fulfill his calling. Now, I want to just pause for a moment. I read to you this text. It's kind of unusual that a a defeated enemy, today we would just keep them in a prison. And you see that that's where Samson was. But that was not good enough in those days. In those days, it wasn't army against army or king against king. It was viewed in Canaan as God against God. So if a people won a battle, they would say, my God is stronger than your God. So that's why you see this particular scene unfolding the way it does. The people want to celebrate. They want to have a party to say that Dagon, their god, is stronger than Yahweh. And one of the best ways to do that is to humiliate the champion of the other team, of the other side. So Samson, blinded um, by uh, those torturers, the Philistines had tortured him and taken away his eyesight. He is in a prison and his hair starts to grow back. They're not paying attention to that, but they want to see him. And they bring him into their temple, this, this vast complex. It had to be big because 3,000 folks were on the roof, okay? That's a big building. And they all were watching Samson and being entertained by his torture. It's a sad, sad story. Samson, we are told was attached between the two pillars because he just wanted to rest, he said. He had a scheme. The young man that was watching him was not paying close attention, wasn't thinking, and let him put his hands on those two main support pillars. You know the story. And then there's something interesting. For only the second time we see in the text, it's happened once before, it happens again, we see Samson praying. Now that doesn't mean that he only prayed twice in his life. In fact, we know that he was a judge for 20 years. And God must have used him in some other ways that we don't have in Scripture. We talked about that last week. So who knows if if maybe there were some good years. I, I hope so. But in the text, we only have two prayers. And both came at times of desperation. Now let's pause here and just say this. The sad reality is many of us are only prayer warriors when there's pain in our lives. Many of us are like Samson. We are really good at praying desperately when we're in desperate situations, but we're not consistently praying when life is just kind of going on its normal, merry way. Let me say this. It is a whole lot easier to have an ongoing dialogue with God And then when the troubles come, you will have that relationship. You will have wisdom. You will know God in his ways. He will be able to speak to you more clearly. There will be comfort in that 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 the person who cries out just in desperation can't appreciate. Now, here's the good news. Even when we're just crying out in desperation, God is faithful to hear us. God does not leave Samson orphaned in this instance. He does not deserve to be heard. But God is a God of grace. And let me just say this to you. If you are here today and you've been straying from God for a long time, or maybe you've just been in rebellion against God for many years, do not think that God's love isn't strong enough because it is strong enough to grab a hold of you today and change your life forever. Grace is powerful. Grace is good. And grace comes to Samson here at the end. As he prays, it is so interesting, he uses three different words. In fact, three of the most common words in the Hebrew uh, for God. He says Adonai, which just means Lord. It's a a, a beautiful term of submission to God. Yahweh, he uses that in his prayer. Very short prayer, just a a, a sentence here. Um, Yahweh, the personal name of God. And he uses the name Elohim, which is the general name of God. But when we look at this prayer, we sense humility. We sense a man who finally understands who he is. And we recall that the angel of the Lord, when he spoke to Manoah and to his wife, told them that Samson would strike the first blow. Now this is interesting because up until this point, there have been some very serious battles fought by Samson. He has taken out literally thousands of soldiers. But here's the deal. The Philistines would have had maybe tens of thousands of soldiers. Even if Samson in his military career had wiped out four or 5,000 soldiers, that would not have been a real blow to the Philistine people. They would have replaced those soldiers and they would have continued to uh, plague Israel. But there's something really different about all the leaders of the Philistines being in one place at one time. 3,000 of them on the roof alone. And how many more underneath that roof? I can tell you in a land like that where, where life expectancy might have an old man would have been in the 30s. So when, when people died on masse like this, it was a serious blow. When those pillars started to shake and those people perished, the Philistines' future perished right there. That was not a small deal, not a small blow. That was what led to the end of the Philistines and the plague that they had on Israel. Some today look at something like this and say, there's so much death and destruction. It seems like God does something wrong here. Here's the deal. What we tend to not be able to understand is, is that God sees everything and knows everything and we don't. And when God allows this to happen, you say, well, that looks like a terrible thing. But what you don't know is how that perhaps uh, saved tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of lives down the road. Don't think you know everything. Only God knows everything. And the Word of God is teaching us something here, that there is a penalty for sin. The people, the Philistines, had been living in rebellion against God. It was such a bad rebellion that even a flawed character like Samson is used by God to do the work of God. Oh, it is sad. Life is precious, and the death that surrounds this passage is really hard to to stomach. But I'll just let you know, Hebrews 11.34 tells us that Samson was made strong out of his weakness. And that means he was in the hall of fame of faith. Samson, because of this one verse, makes it into the hall of fame of faith. So, some people have said to me over the years, do you really believe if I pray to Jesus right now that he will forgive all the sins of my life and no matter what I've done in my life, I'll get to spend eternity in heaven with him? Yes. Yes. Samson and many others in the scriptures show us that when we do business with God, when we are serious about our sins, when we turn to God with all of our heart, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And he will forgive you today as well. If we are faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 2.13. God is good. And I believe this passage is teaching us that there is something beautiful in Christ. In fact, I think this passage is one of the one of the best foreshadowings of what would happen in the gospels. Samson pulled down those two pillars and thousands of people died. His last act caused him to die. And the scriptures say the passage there says that he was more mighty in death than he was in life. That phrase, that thought that beautiful picture of the gospel begins to come, uh, become in, uh, come in focus. So hundreds of years after this event, there was uh, a man who was born in Bethlehem and raised in the backwaters of Israel, uh, an area called Galilee. And in the town of Nazareth, this young man grew. And when he was 12, he went to the temple and amazed the the, the Pharisees and scribes with his uh, knowledge and his wisdom in the scriptures. Not much more is known about him until he was nearly 30 years of age. And then he and 12 of his disciples went out and started preaching this gospel of grace, this beautiful capstone on all of prophecy in the Old Testament. And his name was Jesus And this man, he came and preached a gospel of love. He did not raise a large army. He did not build grand buildings. He did not do any of the things associated with power and might in this world. But he taught love, and he lived a sinless life, and in the end, he died a perfect death. When we look at Samson, we see that he was distracted by his sin, but Jesus never sinned and stayed on the perfect path that God had, the Heavenly Father had given him. We see love in Jesus, not, not a selfish love, not a misguided love, but we see the true love of God coming through Jesus. If we want to know what God's love is like, we just have to look to Jesus in the Gospels. And so Samson, he was misguided by his sin. He had misguided love, and thus when he died, he was still used, but it was a death that caused more deaths. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus, because of his sinlessness and because of his great love for you, his death makes it possible for you to live forever. We are here today because we believe that Jesus defeated death. The death of death has come because of Jesus And we want you to know that the strength that you have right now to resist sin, you may be doing okay, you may be winning the battle today, but you can't win it forever. You need the presence of Christ in your heart. We need to understand that only Jesus, only he saves us and only he sustains us. Many of you in this room perhaps need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior so that your sins can be forgiven. But many of us have not allowed the love and power of Jesus to sustain us. If we are living in sin, that means we're not being sustained by the love. We are chasing after the passions of our heart instead of chasing after Jesus. But I want you to know that Jesus loves you. We need to say with Paul, I've been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 puts it so simply, and that is a reminder that though Jesus died for us, we must continually die with him in our sins. And if we die in our sins, then That death will lead to life for us, and it will also clarify our voice that we may share the gospel with a lost and dying world. Samson shows us the limits of human strength due to sin, but when we come to the gospels, we see that we have no limits when we are filled with Christ's salvation and love. We are able to change the world, not because we're smarter or stronger or wiser, but because we are filled with Jesus. And when we talk about where the church needs to go, we have reached the limits of our strength. We cannot do this thing called church. We cannot do what God has called us to do here in Springfield and around the world, in our own strength. Even if Samson-like strength was among us, we couldn't do it. The only way we do it is if we are in Christ. And I beg you, be in Christ. As we come to the end of our service here today, a, another opportunity to, to, to come and make a commitment. As I said, I think that some of us need to receive Christ. Some of us need to just ha- take that first step of faith. Others of us need to remember who we are in Christ and, and, and rededicate or return to Christ. I want you to know that this altar is a beautiful place also. You don't have to just come up here if things are dark and dreary. I think sometimes we communicate it that way. But I believe if the Lord is impressed upon your heart that you have been saved and there's joy in your heart, it's okay to come and pray a prayer of celebration to God. We need to praise the Lord. Whatever the Lord calls you to do, if he impresses on your heart to make a move forward, if he impresses on your heart to pray where you're at, all I'm saying is listen to what the Lord is saying and be obedient. Be obedient. Because you can't be as strong as you ought to be if you're being disobedient. But you have far more strength than you could ever imagine by simply being obedient to God. And so let's get past our limits and let's let the love of Jesus begin to flow through us. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.